Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is November the 4th, 2015. This is episode 1672 of the Survival Podcast. Today we're going to talk with Miss Tamara Wolfson. Tamara is one of the most switched-on people I have ever found in my life in the world of plant-based and herbal medicine. She's just absolutely amazing. I have put her pedigree for you in the uh, show notes today. I'm not even going to read it because it would take me about five minutes just to get through the qualifications this woman has. I'll tell you what, one of the only things in the world I like more than talking about herbal medicines is talking about them with someone that knows a lot more than me, and that is... Tamara Wolfson. Before we get to our interview, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by helping to make sure the show's here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week. Sponsor of the day number one today, KnifeKits.com. KnifeKits is a really great company. They've been with us a long time when we vetted them for the sponsorship program. We checked all the blade forums and things like that. And they turned out to be a really great company with just a stellar reputation in the industry. And KnifeKits.com makes it easy for you to learn the skill of knife crafting. It really does for you and maybe for you and your kids to learn that skill together. You can get basic kits that aren't much more complicated than doing, let's say, a, a model car that you would buy when you were a kid and glue together. Uh, you pick out some handle material, some bolsters, and things like that. And if you're not sure what you're doing, they have books and DVDs. They also have great stuff uh, where you can make things out of Kydex and learn that skill as well. America was a, a country that at one time had a hard-line skill set. Uh, people could do things in their own home without calling a guy uh, to fix the, you know, whatever it was that wasn't working in your home. Today, it seems like we've lost a lot of those skills. And one way to regain them is to start taking up small hobbies like this and learn these basic skills like fit and finishing, sharpening knives, etc. And hey, if you're a master bladesmith, they have some of the coolest exotic materials you can get your hands on. Check them out today at knifekits.com. Remember, they also do support the MSP or Member Support Brigade with a great discount for you. You can find out about that in the benefits section of your MSB. Sponsor of the day number two today is Backwoods Home Magazine, the easiest company that I've ever had to endorse ever in my entire career. Um, it's really easy to endorse a company when you can look back and say to yourself, I've been this company's customer for over 20 years. That's what Backwoods Home is to me. 1994, I became a subscriber to Backwoods Home. I didn't even start the Survival Podcast till 2008. I was their customer for all of those years. In the early years of the Survival Podcast, a lot of the information that I shared with you, a lot of the teaching that I did came right out of Backwoods Home Magazine. They're an incredible company. And hey, if you haven't been a, a customer that long, consider going back and checking out some of their anthologies. They have anthologies going back to the very first year of public at Backwoods Home. If you want to get a subscription, you're a new subscriber, they have a deal for you in the Member Support Brigade as well. Backwoods Home is an amazing publication. If they weren't, I wouldn't have been their customer this long. It's great today that I can work with people like Dave Duffy and John Silvera, Masada Yub, and Jackie Clay, knowing that you know after reading them all those years, they're now part of what I do. It's just awesome. If you check out Backwoods Home, what you'll find is a publication, sort of kind of like Grit, Sort of kind of like Mother Earth News, with a lot more homesteading stuff in it, and with a libertarian flair. Check out BackwoodsHome.com today, and you'll see why I've been their customer for so very long. 
Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode of the year, 1672, because the episode is 1672. I have three from the awesome Alex Shrugged at tspwiki.com. I have the fire hoses invented, and I have the first military net is killed in by friendly fire. And I have the new medicine is a toss-up. I'll just tell you real quick, the new medicine that shows up this year is known as Syrup of Epicac. That's the stuff you drink when you want to puke really fast, and it works really well. I'm going to actually read the, read the fire hoses invented. The Dutch artist Jan van der Hayden has been replaced in charge of the volunteer fire department. Up to this point, firefighting equipment has been unsatisfactory, so Jan and his brother... Redesign the water pump and tanks so that firefighters don't risk their lives dragging heavy water pumps and tanks near burning buildings. They have added a 50-foot leather hose to the pump so that a firefighter can bring the water to the fire. They have also designed cloth water buckets to make it easier to fill the tank from a nearby stream. Later, they will redesign the pump itself and add a suction hose held by rigid wire. The fire hose will be introduced in the United States in 1794 in Philadelphia. My take by Alex Shrug, the early firefighting pump consisted of a large wash tub sitting on a tripod with a light pump apparatus mounted over the top of the tub. A crank was turned to create pressure in a rigid angled pipe at the top. You aim the stream toward the flames, but the stream didn't go far, so several people had to drag the heavy contraption next to the building. Thus using the leather pipe was a stroke of genius. This is one of those things like you don't really think about like when did we invent the fire hose? You know, it's one of those things that kind of gets lost. You don't really, you know, sit around pondering that. But it's interesting that it was in the 1670s that somebody finally thought to do this and that the first hose was made of leather. And it kind of puts you a little bit in perspective as to what it was like to live in these times. So, say, 1670, no hose. So you basically just dumped water with buckets on, on fires Squirted a little bit of water on through this pump thing, if you could. Um, at a time when we didn't have, you know, the knowledge we do today to be able to build buildings that didn't just burn down. There was also thing as a fire suppression system in a building or what have you. Um, it, it just kind of makes you grateful for the technology that we have today if you stop and start to think about something this basic. Not a fire truck. I mean, a long time away from trucks here, but just a hose. A hose. I think of how many other things hoses do, and I wonder, you know, how much, how many hoses uh, were not in existence yet. Like, what other ways did we move water around other than, you know, the Romans used lead pipes uh, way before this? But were hoses even common? That's one for Alex to answer for us in the show notes. Maybe he'll uh, come by and comment. Was this like one of the first real hoses ever? Because a hose is a pretty basic tool that I kind of use every day of my life. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and uh, take a look at something you might use your hose to water. The Bob Wells plant of the week, the wonderful pomegranate. This plant is adaptable from zones 7 to 10. So this is a southern species, guys. It has large purple-red fruit with delicious tangy flavor. It is the best variety for the south. Beautiful red-orange blossoms. It's very long-lived, self-fruiting, and does well. In a variety of soils, this is a popular variety not only because of its great fruit, but for its attractive look as well. Bob Wells Nursery specializes in edible landscape plants and trees, including fruit trees, berry plants, vine fruit, nut trees, 
as well as hard-to-find specialty trees. You can find this plant more at bobwellsnursery.com. Remember, if you're an MSB member, you can get a discount of 10% off all your plants from Bob Wells Nursery. I want to actually tell you about a different plant today because I got to eat my first one today. I've talked a lot about planting persimmons because I think they're a great tree. They hang late in the year. They give you late fruit. They're very pest-resistant, on and on. I've You know, as a kid, I used to pick wild persimmons all the time. I did quite a bit of that in uh, in Arkansas as well because we had them just growing on the mountain up there, little bitty ones. You have to let them get really, really ripe, and they get kind of mushy and soft, and then they're good. I've got um, some stuff here on the property, some different uh, astringent persimmons, as they call them. I got some of my first ones this year. I've got a few sitting on my countertop. They're bletting is what you call it. In other words, they're not completely ripe yet, so you have to wait till they're ripe. Or when you eat them, like your mouth puckers up. Remember the coyote and the Roadrunner and alum? And if alum got in the coyote's mouth, his mouth just all puckered up, that, that stuff. Kind of like that. Um, and there is one variety of persimmon that does not need to blet. When you pull it off the tree and it's still really firm, it, it, it's ripe and it's ready to eat. And it's called fuyu. F-U-Y-U. Fuyu persimmon. The reason I'm telling you this is I put a couple in, one died, two lived, and my first one fruited this year. I got exactly one persimmon off of it, and I just ate it, and it was really firm. And I was like, it might be too firm. I only get to do this once this year, but supposedly once it's ripe, it's ripe. It was flipping fantastic. I need to plant like 50 of these trees. Oh, my. The taste of a persimmon without it being mushy. Fuyu persimmon. Let me add Jack's plant of the week this week uh, to the list. Um, next up, do consider joining the member support brigade so you can get discounts on things like your wonderful pomegranates and uh, your Fuyu persimmons and everything else from Bob Wells and a lot of discounts from other people. To learn more, go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members. Yes, I ran a lifetime membership sale today. It sold out in less than an hour, so we're done with lifetime until sometime late next year. Just thought I'd throw that in there as a little aside as well. Um, before we bring our guest on, real quick, one more little announcement. I do have one spot open for the workshop next week. One of my students canceled due to some issues. They just could not come. And I put out a post about it today. I can't sell the class at a discount. I don't feel it would be fair to the people that paid full price. What I am willing to do, since it's like a week away, because it starts on the 11th, and this is the 4th, And it didn't really start on the 11th, but most people show up on the 11th to camp, and the class runs the 12th, 13th, and 14th. It's 500 bucks. Um, we're going to be doing Silvo Pasture Establishment, SketchUp-based design, uh, learning how to use Google SketchUp and topographical maps to do design. We're going to be doing quail and quail processing. We're going to be doing microgreens. It's a, just an awesome class. Um, what I'm willing to do is if you email me, jack at the survivalpodcast.com with TSPC November class in the subject line, whoever emails me first, I will work with you on payment if you can't just pay in full, like four payments through PayPal or something like that. If you, you know, since it's a short notice, I hate for that seat to go unused now. And, uh, it's, it's really close. So I'm, I'm willing to do some flexible working with one person on that. Okay, with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of our, our show today, plant-based medicines with the awesome Tamara Wolfson. Hey, Tamara, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thank you so much, Jack. It's really a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to speak with you and, and your listeners about plant medicines. Well, I'm very grateful that you're here, and I, I'm really actually very excited after looking at your work and, and your background to have you on the show. Um, I think it's safe to say that this will probably be the most informed person we've ever had on in this subject. 
uh, on the show and its history. So I'm glad you're here with us today. Thank you. Um, before we get into that, though, and, and go into the main topic, could you give people, just so they can kind of connect with you as a person, how did you get into this? Did you did you grow up like with this as part of your background, or did you find it somewhere in life? I find a lot of people that we have on this show kind of took what I call the wonky path to get where they are. Was that you, <laughs> or were you the person that like you grew up with a you know a herbalist in the house and you just kind of this was your natural progression? Well, in some way, well, in some ways, it's certainly a natural progression. What I grew up with a a an incredible chef in the house. So somebody who was very inspired by plants, not medically speaking, but from a culinary perspective. And, and that was my mother. And she really taught me a lot about food. And as a young woman, I traveled to India at 18. And I was even at that point, curious about natural medicine. And I was looking at an Ayurvedic college in Varanasi and um, interested in studying the traditional medicine of, of India. And after visiting that college, I decided that it actually wasn't quite the right fit for me. And it took me past my undergraduate degree to really hone in on wanting to learn and study uh, Chinese medicine. And so directly after my undergraduate degree, I attended my very first educational program in New York uh, studying acupuncture in Chinese medicine, which is one of the most sophisticated approaches to plant medicine traditional plant medicine we have. Certainly, Ayurvedic medicine is also ancient and profound, but so much of that medicine was really lost. And Chinese medicine is really quite preserved in thousands and thousands of texts. So it's one of our great, great traditional medicines. And, uh, and of course, being an American and having a, you know, a, ancestral lineage that's European in nature. I have also engaged European medicine. So, so I integrate all of those medicines, but it all began really as a young, young woman, just being curious and also knowing that I wanted to be a doctor. I didn't know exactly what kind of doctor or what that meant, but I knew that I wanted to work with people and healing, wellness, and and nature. I got it. I, I understand completely. It was actually a path I sort of kind of started and decided to do other things uh, myself because there's a certain, I don't know, there's a certain peace in healing. That, that's beyond just, you know, obviously if you're, if you're healthy, you feel peaceful, but that's not what I mean. You probably know what I mean. I don't know if the audience knows what I mean. When you're actually able to look at something like a plant, something as simple as comfrey and, and, and see someone that has a, a wound that's just not healing right and say, you know, this, this leaf will fix that. And then mm. you're able to say, here, you can have this and they try it and they come back and they go, that worked. 
you know, and they've tried like five ointments or something in a store and it didn't work and that worked. There's a certain piece that comes from knowing that those answers are sitting right there, if that makes sense. Oh my goodness. It, it really does. And, and you're right. I mean, one of the reasons why I approached you to talk about plant medicine is because clearly we're, we are surrounded by plants and we rely on plants uh, to breathe, to live. Our earth relies on plants to purify itself. And we are in this very intimate relationship with plants. And of course they are a natural uh, place for us to look for our own health and healing. And, and I, I think I, I mentioned um, in my notes that, you know, one of our great traditional healers, Hildegard Begren, talked about viriditas, which is the healing power of green, that in that chlorophyll or in that the, the, just the energetic of the green plants is a, a potential to heal all of our ailments, you know, and that is, um, you know, that really goes back to Hippocrates in 460 BC. I mean, he, you know, the Greek medical system was really oriented around nature and believed that for every human ailment, there was, there is a remedy found in our natural world. Yeah, that patient heal thyself. The doctor is only your teacher. Uh, that's that's oh that's where you're going there, right? I mean, that's that's really the truth. And if if that's going to be the case, then we have to have access to those things to heal ourselves with. So, I mean, can you talk about like the basic history of this and when did we begin to fear using plants? Because I talk to people now and they're like, "Oh, you're using that." Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, like right now. So, it, when I grew up in Pennsylvania, I learned about plantain from my grandfather. Yeah. And it, we had plantain all summer long. Well, here in Texas, it just says it's too hot. I quit. It leaves. And then when we get the, the first fall rains, like we've just got, it all comes back. And I, I see that coming up. And I'm like, well, there's medicine. And and people are afraid to use something like a plantain leaf or a comfrey leaf. I know. It's, it's outrageous. We have become so disconnected from our really from our own roots in some ways. Um, I think that that fear is, it, 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 certainly there is a historical process around medicine and changes in medicine that contributed to our fear of using natural medicine. But I, I think some of that fear present day even comes from our own fears of our naturalness, of our humanness, of our vulnerability, of our, um, of death itself, of, um, you know, somatic experience itself. It's, it's scary. You know, it's not something we're in control of. Maybe in a world where there is so much we're not in control of that is so devastating to us. You know, our, our hearts in some ways are, 
are broken by these systems that no longer feed us or support us or honor us or respect us. You know, there's so much um, perversion happening that it contributes to this, what I, I, I think is really a lack of trust in nature. And, um, and then historically speaking, things began to change in the late 1800s as chemists begin to understand how to extract from plants very particular um, um, elements from the plant. And, and in doing that, they created a new business called um, pharmaceuticals. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there really isn't any way to patent plant medicine. However, um, extracts and... Um, um, isolates from plants are very readily able to be uh, patented and sold and thus began kind of a branch in the process between using natural uh, whole plant medicine and the push and pressure for people to begin to invest their energy and their belief systems in Wonder drugs and, um, and wonder medicines, wonder pills, um, and, um, and that, that really happened around the turn of the century. And of course, one of our, one of the greatest, one of the greatest, uh, changes in medicine really happened with the discovery, Fleming's discovery of penicillin. And our ability to manufacture that. And so in 1942, even though we had some sulfur-based antibiotics in the 30s, um, I think in, in 42, we really had, for the first time, access to a uh, broad-spectrum antibiotic that radically changed uh, medicine in the world and our orientation towards um you know, what we think of now as allopathic medicine or the medicine coming from chemistry. Oh boy. I hope that wasn't too long. No, no, it makes it's sense. A little verbose. No, that makes perfect sense. And kind of like completing the other side of it. What I think is that there's part of the fear is due to an unreasonable assignment of authority to, to others. So mm. like, Especially I see this in older generations, a bit older than mine, like my father-in-law who you know, came down with Alzheimer's, unfortunately, and eventually to keep him from freezing himself to death or more likely overheating himself, we had to put a lockbox over his thermostat. Mm. And he was like, no, I'm going to smash it off with a hammer or whatever. So eventually we just wrote a note that looked like it came from his doctor that said his doctor ordered it. And we put it up right. on that ended it. He was like, he accepted it because the doctor said so. Right. Right. And, and I so – if that's how entrenched that is in that generation, and I would say the next generation as well, then when you do anything that's counter to that, it's not just that we've lost touch with it, but it's counter to authority. Because the doctor's white coat and stethoscope is a symbol of authority. When I used to be in sales, when I wasn't quite fully human anymore because I was corporatized, you know, you'd wear a suit and a tie. 
And, and they, they tell you, even though you may not be really comfortable at that tie, that suit, when you walk in as a consulting salesperson, that grants you authority because you look like you're in charge. And I think we've sold out our self-authority to authority figures, and that's why we fear so many things like radical changes in education. Like, gee, children could be learning now more on their iPhones than they could learn in school. But we fear that because now we're going counter to the authority that we've we've And it's not authority that belongs there. Like, we've taken our own personal authority and we've given it away. And I think that's mm. really true in medicine. Oh, my goodness. That is the case. I mean, it's not just that our physicians have become, um, you know, lost, so to speak. There are pressures from so many directions today on the physician um, to over-prescribe, to, um, to even offer uh, pharmaceutical um, options that they themselves don't even believe in and and uh, and you're right the the we as a as a you know we have translated our faith in priests or what we had as um, the priests or people that were close to really understanding what and why we were sick to physicians. And it is a, it is a, um, a, a very inappropriate and inflated uh, idea around the role of the physician, which I may say is different than the role of a healer. I mean, I... <laughs> <laughs> I I'd like to add that I I actually see my role in my own community in my own clinic as that of a healer, and uh, even though I have lots of you know formal traditional medical training, I um, and people come in and say Doctor T this and Doctor T that, you know I don't really see my I really see myself in some ways as um, mom to many. Ah. <laughs> more like that um uh but i i have so many patients that uh come in and the stories they share uh about their experiences with their physicians are um very disturbing and and i really try to help people to reestablish that relationship that Really, it's a responsibility. You said it so well a few moments ago. It is a responsibility for taking into our own hands the reasons why we may be ill and also how we may change our lifestyle in order to uh, reconnect with wellness and the choices that we're making around the medicines we're using in and of themselves to, um, you know, expect, you know, we walk in, we've got a cold, we walk in to see the, um, you know, our, our primary care physician, and we expect that they give us an antibiotic, even though we know that 50% of the time when an antibiotic is prescribed, it is uh, it, it's prescribed for something it doesn't actually treat. It's that we want so badly to have that, you know, little red, you know, sugar covered pill that's going to fix it. And, um, and, and so we're really as consumers 
and patients caught up in this uh, mistaken approach to medicine. And we are as we are part of the issues ourselves also. So, you know, it's a it's a it's kind of a big Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah. Well, part of the way we let go of that fear is through understanding and knowledge. Like the more you know about plants and what they can do and how they work, the less fear you have. So let's kind of get into that now. And oh, yes. <laughs> we talk about like how we actually categorize herbs, because I think that's a great first step in understanding like what's actually available, how it works, what's safe, what you might want to use a little caution with, et cetera. Right. Okay. So, you know, I wanted to say that, um, you know, about 50 to 60% of our pharmaceutical drugs are or have had historically a natural origin. Many, many, many of them came from plants. And, um, however, one of the actions of plants that you don't find in the pharmaceutical world, that you only find in the plant world, is what we would call an adaptogen um, mm. or the alternatives. These are plants that help increase our ability to withstand stresses. They help support our adrenal systems. They they increase our, our core vitality. They restore function in our body. They kind of optimize all that the body does. And where the body is weak or depleted or in need, they step in and they just simply do that. So that's one of the, cat one of the wonderful categories of plants and their ability to heal. And some of the um, some of those wonderful adaptogens are kinds of the plants that people hear about, I think, if they're watching Dr. Oz or <laughs> they're reading Andrew, Dr. Andrew Weil's work or, you know, they're, um, they're, you know, they've got their ear out to some of the natural medicine plants and, um, probably number one on that list is, uh, is ginseng, the ginseng root. Um, and there are, wild ginsengs and there are cultivated ginsengs and there are different varieties of ginseng that are used in chinese medicine we use a um a, a, a ginseng that we see as being a, a cold ginseng and a warm ginseng for bodies that tend to be more deficient we may warm them up and energize the body um, with a red ginseng, and we may do some more cooling work with what we would call an American ginseng. Um, there's also a, kind of a pseudo ginseng and a Siberian ginseng, Eleuthero, people know about. All of these are um, stimulating, supportive uh, adaptogens. Uh, there are some others out there. Um, one of the plants, uh, Rhodiola, this one is maybe uh, one of the fad, kind of a fad adaptogen. It's kind of in the news more so lately. And uh, it comes from uh, the northern Arctic uh, European countries. And again, this is a plant that's incredibly uh, beneficial for increasing vitality, but it can also help with uh, like thyroid, you know, thyroid balance. And, um, you know, from... Uh, 
Um, from India, we have ashwagandha, wonderful, wonderful Ayurvedic plant that people um, call uh, the Indian ginseng. So, you know, those are all uh, great adaptogens uh, for people to use uh, in general. So, so that's kind of one category. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, I mean, I think that's like an, an incredible thing that I, I have not really thought about. Just so the audience knows, one of the greatest things they can really do to really understand all this stuff deeper is to learn these herbal actions that you're talking about here. And back a long time ago in like the episode 500 realm, I did a four-part series on 40 different herbal actions. And what I kind of really was thinking about when you were talking there is that there's some of these things that you hear as characteristics of pharmaceutical drugs, a diuretic, for instance, right? There's herbs mm -hmm. that have that as an action, and we have modern pharmaceuticals that also have that as an action. But there are some of them, like adaptogen, that you don't ever hear uh, about in modern medicine, Uh You know, there's and and then some of the ones that you do hear in modern medicine, the herbs that have them are herbs that you mentioned having a great cook in your uh, house that we don't think of as medicinal. They're culinary, but they're they're full of them, like uh, antimicrobial, right? So people would know what that means. It's pretty pretty obvious that antimicrobial. Okay, we get that. <laughs> but like, so herbs that do that are things like, and I'm looking at my old notes here. I'm not really this smart, but like parsley, thyme, oregano, basil, and garlic all have antimicrobial components to them and Absolutely. and to understand that like when you start understanding that then the whole world like opens up that's right we think right now most people think antimicrobial well they think um mm, they think of an antibiotic uh probably most naturally they may have heard of oregano oil uh that's a you know possibly that's a very very powerful um, European uh, antimicrobial, um, but uh, we have incredibly powerful plants that are, because they have evolved alongside, it's very logical, bacteria and viruses, which are a communication tool that bacteria use, um, they aren't as easily resisted the way a mono pharmaceutical is right bacteria's um uh, you know they are very very intelligent creatures and we don't really realize how you know we are um quite minor in the world <laughs> compared to the numbers of colonies of bacteria most of which are perfectly friendly for us actually yeah we're um, bacteria than we are people I mean, yeah, it's one in math, 10. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, I mean, I don't want to get off on a, on a GMO tangent, but, you know, when you. Oh, think you're about... the right place for it. You can go. <laughs> yeah, go, girl, go. Yeah. I mean, I, I had to laugh talking. Uh, I was talking with my son about this, uh, you know, just recently. I. Uh, oh, yeah, it's great. GMOs don't affect animal cells, but they affect bacterial cells, and we don't really need to worry about that, right? No. no. <laughs> For every one animal cell in our body, there's 10 bacterial cells. So uh, uh, do GMOs affect us? Absolutely, they affect us. So, uh, you know, really, I... Um, 
um, I just want to come back to this idea that, you know, plants are incredibly um, helpful and powerful. And in that world of antimicrobials, um, certainly making your own oregano oil would be a great place to start. Easy, easy. And, um, um, you know, if you buy a tincture, uh, if you buy oregano oil in an ounce size container at Whole Foods or something, it's, I bet it's $20, you know, but you could make with organic olive oil, uh, you know, that you would cover, uh, some dry organic oregano with, you could make within six weeks, you know, a pint of oregano oil. You could give that to your neighbors and, and your family for the holidays. And then everybody has, um, a nice supply of, uh, of, a very powerful, simple antimicrobial that, um, you know, cost you probably more like $10 to make. <laughs> sure, sure. And I mean, you could make it for almost nothing other than the oil because if you want a plant that will, up to about zone six, just grow like a honey badger, it's oregano. It, I have it all over here and it, I don't, I don't know how half of it got where it is and nothing wants to live here. This is a hard environment and oregano doesn't care. It is like a honey badger. It's a tough herb. And so, I mean, you could have this big, clump of oregano in your yard toward the end of the season when the cold's going to knock it down, why not take it and turn it into something like that? Absolutely. And so that, in my mind, I think of as a great antiviral first stage. Uh, it, it, you start to feel like you're coming down with something, you know, you would go to that oregano oil, 10 drops uh, every couple of hours. Now, when you're thinking about uh, an infection, a, uh, you know, external pathogenic invasion, so to speak, um, you really want to be dosing with natural medicine. So it's a little bit different in how we take the medicine than one pill a day. It's not that kind of approach. We want to really saturate our bodies with these um, with herbs. So you would be taking them throughout the day, not just one time, but every couple of hours. And of course, my opinion is with infections, uh, there's nothing like three gallons of water. Mm. Uh, if you start to feel sick to help your body to, uh, rid it of, um, and support your immune system in, in dealing with that. Um, but, uh, uh, another kind of tier of intensity that is I, something that you could make at home is not um, that that isn't also in that antimicrobial uh, action category of uh, boosting immune function would be um, something that historically was called or based on the four thieves. So this was a formula, a European formula that was developed for um, the grave robbers during the plague to get close mm. to uh, plague victims with um, without um, w without contracting um, the plague and they and so this is a formula obviously uh, I, I'm sure they did contract the plague sure. <laughs> they got that close but but the idea is that this is something that could you know eradicate something as as powerful as plague. Um, 
and it's a combination. It's a, called an oxymel. So I do this in, in apple cider vinegar. So into vinegar, you would infuse fresh grated horseradish, fresh grated ginger, fresh grated garlic, fresh grated onion, cayenne pepper, and you would submerge that in apple cider vinegar for 30 days. And this is the time to get on that right now, this right, right this time of year. So you would have, and then from that, you could take a tablespoon every day to help warm your body, circulate your blood, boost your immune function, and protect you from viral invasion. So I highly recommend um, that fire cider. It sounds pretty good for it, marinating but... pork in, too. <laughs> no, it does. <laughs> I mean, it kind of, that's always kind of my point is that, like, people fear this stuff, and really what we're talking about is concentrating foods. Yes, yes, you're right. You're, you're, you're right. We are talking about that. You know, two thirds of all plant medicines, two thirds of all the plant medicines that I use, um, you know, that we herbalists use are completely and utterly safe. You know, uh, you know, uh, you 20% really require a therapeutic they have therapeutic properties, so they require some education. They require some acknowledgement of dosage and quantity. But in terms of um, toxicity, we're talking about less than 5% of plant medicines. Um, really, it is very, very small. You do not need to fear plant medicine. Absolutely not. Um I mean, it's not it, like there's not things that can't be dangerous. Digitalis, for instance, right? Foxglove, right? Yeah, you mentioned you, you mentioned Andrew Weil, and even the things that are dangerous can be less dangerous than the pharmaceutical alternative. You, you, you've probably read his books. I, I remember what kind of flipped the switch in me forever was reading one of his books, and he talked about how as, he, as a young resident, he was going through a pharmaceutical book or whatever and looking at these symptoms for digit, digitalis overdose. And there were like these mild symptoms, and then there was like this vomiting and nausea and retching, and then it was like the third one was basically you die. Right. And and he went to like these different doctors and said, has anybody ever seen a patient with these, this middle set of symptoms? And no one ever had. And he finally finds like this old doctor that's been around forever, and you know, Andrew's not exactly a spring chicken, so you know, you're probably going pretty far back. This guy was probably a doctor when people were still using whole herbs, and he said because obviously they were, because he said when we used whole digitalis, you gave a little more and a little more and a little more, and when a person got sick like that, you stopped giving it to them, and right. we never killed anybody. Right. So I'm so, not advising anybody go out and eat foxglove. Please don't do that. But I'm saying in the hands of a trained practitioner, I think even the drugs that or the, the, the herbs that have really potentially damaging effects can be, in some instances, less dangerous than pharmaceutical drugs that we think are just fine. Right. And that's also why, you know, if you're new to herbal, um, you know, using herbs, then you start with things you're familiar with. <laughs> right. And yeah. with the plants that you aren't familiar with, 
you seek mentorship, right? It, it's very straightforward. It would be the same if I was using power tools. I don't think anybody wants to put a saw in my hand. That wouldn't be a good idea, <laughs> I, really, honestly. Um, you know, you you know, I've studied this stuff for 25 years. It's not, I, I you know, I wouldn't have jumped in to uh, working with a plant that potentially was um, had some toxicity without having incredible training. So, so, uh, but, but what I am saying is that, um, uh, you know, start, start, certainly the, all those, all the herbs, all the plants that you just listed, those are wonderful plants to begin with. And those are plants that you can grow in your own garden for heaven's sake. And, um, you know, uh, and I just wanted to say for, you know, as far as foxglove is concerned in Chinese medicine, we actually, prepare that uh that's uh romania uh, we co- and um we uh we boil that in honey before that's used in any uh decoction so it is that that particular plan is prepa- you know there's a preparation process it's not just that we dig that out of the ground and bite into it you know <laughs> Sure. Yeah, you know, but uh, one of the other plants that I I wanted to share that um, um, I just feel really has helped so many of my clients, and it is in that antimicrobial category. I do want to go on to a couple other categories, um, but is uh, the Artemisia annua. Now, this is called sweet wormwood, and people probably are familiar with wormwoods. They're uh, they're familiar with Artemisia. Absinthium in um, as the uh, basic the ba- one of the basic plants that's used in making absinthe and um, it, and then also mugwort that's a very uh, people are fairly familiar with mugwort Artemisia vulgaris that um, we use uh, in Chinese medicine to help uh, move blood it's uh, um, it's helpful for uh, PMS and um, and uterine cramping and, and blood stagnation in the in the bowel, um, but this particular plant is extraordinary, and I use it in my in my um, my my natural antibiotic. This is my leading herb, the Artemisia annua, and uh, we call it Sweet Annie, and it's uh, it has now become the plant from which extracts. Uh, are the it's the leading plant for treating malaria worldwide now that cinchona bark is kind of or the quinine is kind of uh, the uh, malaria has become fairly resistant to that after 400 years of use and in 2015 Dr. Tu Yu Yu in China she just received the Nobel Prize in Medicine for her work translating this Chinese medical plant, Artemisia annua, into the new malaria, effective malaria plant. And this is a plant that, this is nothing new about this. This is a plant that the Yellow Emperor in the year 2800 BC wrote about in the Shenong Benzhou, the uh, classic on herbal medicine. He talked about um Sweet Annie, he talked about ginseng, he talked about cinnamon, licorice, uh, red jujube. Uh, uh, tradition, what's beautiful about traditional medicine is that it has 
thousands of years of history. It's not, it's not new. <laughs> we have, we have the shoulders of ancestors to stand on here. You know, this is not new stuff. This is old. This is old and powerful and we can reclaim it for ourselves. It really is what I say is the people's medicine. This is where you go. And there's plenty, plenty of information out there to begin getting started learning about it. Well, and I mean, you talk about something like malaria. What's interesting there is we do a history segment every day. And, and yesterday's history segment focused on malaria in, 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 in North America, that people think that was never a problem. And, you know, this is the survival podcast. And <laughs> having a way to treat malaria, if we ever end up with, you know, uh, environmental conditions that, that cause that to be a problem here again, is not a bad thing. I mean, and I think... Oh, like, my well, goodness. No, everybody should grow Sweet Annie. Yeah, and I mean, I see, I, I don't think people knew until, at least most people in this audience didn't know until yesterday when we covered this, that, like, it's not just about suppressing mosquitoes. It's about the environment this mosquito lives in, and it's a certain mosquito. So it's a certain mosquito that pretty much only feeds on humans and primates, so it has to live near settlements, and then there has to be the right conditions for it. So that mosquito we haven't wiped out, but we've really wiped out the conditions in proximity to humans for it. But we're, you know, uh, one bad year away from going right back to that um, and, and having ways to, to save our, our lives, basically, with plants is something we should all be doing. That really, that is absolutely that is the case. And um and some of these plants are so, so easy for us to be growing in our gardens. We, um, you know, there are, there are sources like mountain rose, mountain rose herbs is one of my favorite sources for purchasing wild crafted and cultivated organic herbs that you could, uh, stockpile. <laughs> You want to? I have I have hundreds of pounds of herbs in my house. I mean, um, and um, you know, uh, some of these plants are actually becoming on the endangered species list. Some of our favorites, like osha, you do realize we can't even buy osha right now. You, I can't. I've been trying to buy osha for the last um, sixteen months. There isn't any OSHA. Maybe somebody, if they've got homegrown or wildcrafted OSHA, they could let me know. <laughs> because I would absolutely love to have some OSHA. And um, OSHA is a, a tremendous, it's an herb that is uh, of tremendous benefit for uh, this time of year for fighting off infection. But um Osha is also this extraordinary plant in its boy. I'm gonna really sound California right right, <laughs> right now. I, I I don't even know if I should say this, but um, you know it, it Osha really taps into n some Native American ideas about the spiritual qualities of plants or the energetic spiritual energetics of plants, and Osha is one of the the plants that they see as a shield, as a protective shield that you could carry 
or use around yourself if you felt like you were going into a situation that was potentially dangerous or if it made you nervous in any way or it made you feel afraid. Osha is a plant warrior in some ways and um um it, it, and it's one that I you know I've recommended to clients who uh you know don't want to go to their in-laws house because it's uh it feels emotionally toxic. I'm like, "Okay, take some Osha with you." <laughs> So sometimes plants, it's not just about taking plants internally. It's also about how plants can be protective, um, uh, uh, of us in, in that kind of, in that kind of way. Um, well, I, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. When I, we get done recording this, uh, it's going to take me about 20, 25 minutes to get it live on the air. Uh, and you might want to hop over to, uh, to Mountain Rose and, and buy some of that. Because they do have some in stock right now. And oh, you're kidding! No, they do. And I have a feeling you just sold it all. So, because no, that happens on here. People come on and they mention something and it goes away. Um, I did that one time with our coffee vendor. They came out with this new, new amazing coffee and I'm like, I talked about it on the air and then I went to order some and it was gone. So take that 20 minutes and get an ounce or two. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, that, that's funny. I, I will do that. I, I, you know, I didn't realize that they had that in stock. I just to put a big order in. Um, uh, and then all, along those lines, I don't think we can, I mean, uh, you know, I've got a lot of favorite, I've got a lot of favorite herbs out there. And, um, but uh, along those lines of working with, you know, what we would call in, in Chinese medicine, uh, Shen disturbance or, or, um, this is kind of, uh, about balancing psycho-emotional aspects of ourselves. One of my favorite plants for that is the reishi mushroom. And of course, Many, many mushrooms are used medicinally and we, they are a powerful healing mechanism that the earth uses to heal its own crust, its own tissue, so to speak. Um, but it's also an incredible tool for us. And the reishi is, uh, lingjer is, is, uh, a mushroom that is said to have incredible spiritual power. It's uh, pathways to uh, the heart. It In Chinese medicine, we say it helps support the essence, like our core battery pack, our chi, like our circulation and our flow, and also our spirit, you know. So it, it, it connects all of these aspects of ourselves. And, and then in addition to that, like many of the mushrooms, it strengthens our immune system. It helps to promote better sleep, which is, I swear, I think it's one of the top three things besides for pain I see in my clinic is uh, sl our sleep issues. People really, really need alternatives um, to aid in sleep. Um You know, the reishi mushroom helps calm the nervous system and can help heal the liver. I've used uh, reishi for tumors, and um, um, and many of the mushrooms help in that arena. Um, 
of helping uh, calm mind and um, support all of these different bodily functions simultaneously. Um, I may add that I think I mentioned ashwagandha earlier. That is also a plant that I use um, for sleep with within my sleep formulas because sometimes our sleep disturbances are in part due to the um, over exuberant adrenal system that we are uh, overusing as part of our lifestyles. And um, I really think that, um, you know, besides for our addictions to an overuse of stimulants like caffeines and our just our very fast paced lifestyle um, and our our massive reliance on technology and overuse of technology you know our 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 natural rhythms our our circadian rhythms are um they they are becoming altered you know we don't we don't go down and up very easily anymore we don't we don't rest we don't rest deeply and then we don't feel awakened and and enlivened and rich and energized you know both of those things are being compromised so um you know these are a couple of plants that can help bring some more harmony and balance back into those areas um in our lives so you you, so you bring up something there that's really important you know you talk about things like circadian rhythm right so there's now drugs for people that work swing shift and i can't remember what they call the disease that supposedly these people have because they work swing shift but they also have another drug that has even worse side effects for people that are blind because they get out of that circadian rhythm because they don't have the day to night thing going on and they call that condition non-24 and you know some of the side effects of those medications are things like you, you could get really sick and die, and even stopping taking the medicine may not prevent that. So see your doctor if you have these symptoms immediately oh so, so that you can sleep. Um, so can we talk about some stuff we can use for insomnia, stress, detoxification, things like that, instead of things that can kill us even if we stop taking them? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I swear to God, I think it's it's actually the one that's for the the swing shift differential problem. That that's one of the things that the thing actually says that like this could be a life threatening condition and may not stop just because you stop taking the medicine. Right. Not good. <laughs> not good. Yeah. We, we yeah we know there's some major issues with some of our pharmaceuticals out there. Um, well, I love passion flower. A passion flower is a great uh, uh, plant for helping us to begin to move into a restful state in the evening and you know traditional medicinals it's a tea brand out there they they've got teas that you could steep to do this i make tinctures that you could use there are uh, you know there are op options out there in that way but i combine that with hops which we know is very much a sedative with lemon balm i use poppy and um, skullcap and motherwort and kava, which people are hearing about. I use St. John's wort in that. So I actually do a combination in that formulation to help 
to the body to begin to relax and move into um, sleep. So that I, you know, I that's that's my sleeping draft. Um, but I I think rituals around bedtime are also very important. Not being at the computer, you know, an hour or two before you go to bed. I think that's equally as important as is watching movies. It's just electronic stimulation before bed. The light itself, I think, is disturbing. Um, and, um, um, you know, in Chinese medicine, this swing shift issue really speaks to what they are, what they talk about as being depleting of our essence when we kind of switch out being awake during the night hours and asleep during the day hours. And that is actually a pretty serious, uh, a pretty serious lifestyle choice for folks to make. And I, and I know there's so many people, bakers and people in medicine and uh, many, many people that are, that, you know, working with that. And I highly recommend you see your nearest Chinese medical practitioner for that one because Chinese medicine has fantastic plant combinations to help support that essence that is getting depleted with a choice, a lifestyle choice like that. So without those, without deadly side effects. Sure. <laughs> Sure. You absolutely, you know, we really, Chinese medicine really has got, I think really has that particular one nailed down as it does menopause. Yeah. Menopausal issues, uh, also these are, um, you know, very, can be very uncomfortable. This can be a very uncomfortable transition for women and Chinese medicine can nail, uh, menopausal symptoms within three weeks. So, um, you know, it's another place in which we have incredibly powerful plants that when they are matched up very, very well with the particular individual's symptom patterns, we have very successful outcomes. And I tell you, women med- women's medicine goes very nicely with Chinese medicine. That is a, that's a good fit. That is a very good fit. Um, you know, one of the, you know, herbal combinations that I like for women, you know what, there are many different symptoms that come up in menopause, you know, hot flashes is probably one of the the number one um, symptoms. And for that in particular, you know, the simple, one of the simple tools that folks could use are, is the Vitex berry. And Vitex is a plant that you could grow. You could definitely grow Vitex here. And, um, also, you know, UTIs are very, can be very common with, uh, menopausal, uh, in the menopausal phase. And, uh, the combination of juniper berries with Bidens, which is one of our antimicrobial plants, uh, Spanish needles, uh, or demon spikegrass, that, that will handle a UTI within Three or four days, the way no uh, bladder antibiotic will touch. And my that's my opinion on that. But um, um, you know, so those are a couple of other tools. Um, I like um, what else do I like? Well, of course, I 
I like honey. <laughs> People, you know, may not be aware that, you know, a huge part of my medical practice is using products from the beehive. And, and it may seem, well, okay, this is a, this is a class or this is a talk about plants, but in some ways, really, the products of the beehive are a translation of the healing properties of plants into the hive itself, which we can then utilize to help us heal. So You're giving me an epiphany that makes me feel stupid, okay? Oh. Yeah, no, it's not a bad thing. It just does because it's like one of those duh moments. When we want to use an herb and we want to concentrate its power, we make something like a tincture or an extract or a poultice or whatever. We, we take a plant and we alter it in some way. We process it in some way. We concentrate it in some way. And then we look and we say, look what we have done. Every single thing a bee makes is gathered from plant material. Mm. It's a, they're amazing. So, yeah. duh. Of, so basically, honey... I mean, yeah, they get into soda cans and stuff now, right? But in essence, when it's when it's honey from plant material is a is in many ways a tincture of plant material. <laughs> it is. That's a beautiful. Maybe way tincture's to not that. the right word for it, right? Maybe it's more like an extract or a combination. It's I don't know what the right word is, but it's made from plant material. Plus, the bees process it. It is so true, and. Um you know, I, I have a whole class, uh, hours and hours talking about, talking just on that subject in particular. And um, so much of, you know, certainly for everybody that's interested in, in some self-care and, and self-medicine for themselves and their families, um, the beehive is the most, one of the most obvious go-tos there. <laughs> Yeah. Very yes, very very much the case. Um and um and depending on which plants they're collecting the nectar from, the honey's medicinal properties can be magnified. So I love for instance, I've got 10 hives out on my in my bee yard out on Mare Island, which is north of San Francisco Bay, and in the in the fall or the late summer we have fennel blooming and the honey is uh, the nectar that those bees collect is the fennel nectar and that honey is this incredibly dark rich uh very robust flavored honey that is my personal favorite for making medicines with <laughs> And that is one of the ways that you can preserve your own medicines. So that is, so I, what I, I call it a honey pack. I don't know, you know, in uh, traditional Japanese medicine, in comp, in compo medicine, they would take the herbs that they dried and powdered and they would roll that in honey and they would make a ball. Right. And so you would be eating a medicinal honey ball um, um, to take your formulas in. I make honey packs. I don't roll them into balls. They're just in little containers. But I mix plant medicines, 
powdered medicines into the honey. And of course, people ask me, well, how long is that going to last? You know, is that shelf stable? And I was like, only for two to 5,000 years, you will have no problem, <laughs> no problem taking that medicine next year if you forget about it in the back of your medicine cabinet. Um, and into that, I do, um, let's see. So you asked about what could people use for, for stress, um, or for energy. You know, I, um, have, uh, uh, oh, I've got clients that are in this part of the San Francisco fishermen, uh, group, right? So these guys, boy, do they work hard, right? They're up at 3 a.m. out there fishing in pretty intense water and, and, and intense, uh, temperatures and they are working, working very hard. And, and, um, so one of the, one of the wives said to me, you know, my, my husband is drinking Red Bull. I'm sure that that is not helpful. <laughs> and I said, Oh my goodness. Let's, let me, let me, let me come up with something for him that he can, he can consume that will give him the power of Red Bull or the, the pit of Red Bull, but will, will give him the power of the earth, like the, a real bull. Right. So I, you know, I did a little research and a little meditation on this. And what I came up with is something that I call Olympic blend. And the Olympic blend is based on a formulation that was used by the Chinese government to give their Olympic athletes the edge um, in their competitions. And that formula has Eleuthero in it, one of the ginsengs, the Siberian ginseng. It has cordyceps in it. This is a, this is one of the more interesting, uh, um, herbals out there that traditionally, now it's cultivated, I think, on soybeans. But the real deal was a, uh, a transformation of a caterpillar into a fungus <laughs> in the life cycle of its uh, its its evolution, and that is the what we what one of the quintessential chi tonics to give your body like optimization for functioning, and that's in that and that's in that and there's a bunch of other plants in there. Ginseng is in there. Too. And astragalus, Huang Chi is in there. Astragalus is a um, is uh, in the Qi building category in Chinese medicine, but it is also a very popular Western, um, uh, you know, used medicinal now for building up our immune system. Um, it builds T cells and um, helps us with colds and flus. So, so um, those are some of the ideas, and you can do some of this yourself you know you can take plants and preserve them uh dry them uh you know grind them and preserve them in honey so that is uh one of the great uh great tools out there that you have access you could have access to how do people know well let's start out with um maybe how to do some of this stuff 
how to make a tincture, an infusion, or one of these things you call a honey pack. Right. So for tincturing, there's some science. There's some heavy science around tincturing, but you don't have to get all wound up about it. You know, I, uh, I, it's like being in the kitchen. You know, there are folks that go into the kitchen and if you don't have a recipe that, that gives you a, uh, you know, an exact dosage, an exact measurement for every item in the cake, so in the recipe, somebody gets all kerfuffled about that and nervous and they, they don't feel comfortable, you know, and I totally understand that. And, and, um, and you've got the same thing happening when you're doing herbal preparations, but, but it, it doesn't have to be that way unless, unless you're dealing with some plants that have, that really require a therapeutic, uh, dosage. Um, you, you can be a little bit more relaxed about this. You can grow holy basil in your garden and you can just tincture it, um, you know, in a very casual kind of way or elderberries in a very casual kind of way in your, in your kitchen. So how I would do that or the general formula for that would be, um, uh, what we would say is a one to five ratio. And so that's one part plant to five parts alcohol. And that one part plant is usually a, um, a measurement of weight. And so this is where it can just get a little overwhelming for people, but it doesn't have to be. So basically for one ounce of weight for a particular plant, you're going to add five ounces in volume of uh, 80% alcohol. Generally speaking, people use a vodka or they use an Everclear um, or you could use a brandy to extract uh, from that plant its healing properties. And you would put that in a jar you would put that in a dark place and allow that to sit for six weeks. So that is, that is the, the, the most general way to create a tincture. Now, people that have maybe have a little bit more experience with tincturing are going to say, well, what about the water part? <laughs> so there's, uh, you know, out of when plants are dried, there is a certain percentage of water loss that occurs when the plant is dried. And so when you are tincturing, there, there is part of that formula would be to add back in the percentage of water that was lost. So in fact, you're not just adding that dry herb to alcohol, you're also adding some water into that menstruum, into the broth there that you've got the herbs resting in. And that is something that you could look up online. That is something that is published in all the Materia Medicas. It's available online. But you don't have to get that scientific about this. You're not, if you're not, 
you know, making medicine, if you're making medicines for your family, just pour vodka over the elderberries until it reaches the top of the plant and put it in the closet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're preaching from the Jack Spirico pulpit where I say, don't be the guy that can't make chicken soup because you're out of parsley. Thank you I so much. chicken soup without the parsley and go on with your life. Right. Um, right. Well, if I may, if I take Everclear and I make a tincture and then I add water to it, I've pretty much made the same tincture I would have made if I would have used vodka because all I've done is dilute the proof of the alcohol. Now, I guess if I've made it first and then I've done it, I've also knocked down the potency of the herb a bit. But in the end, all Everclear is really strong vodka. So, um, yeah, I, I do think people get too hung up on stuff and they get too worried about stuff. And I don't know. I, I'm a guy that cooks to taste. If I'm making a bread or something, like I actually look up ingredients because there's a formula to it. And if you don't get it to a certain degree right, it'll be flat or it won't work or whatever. But like when I'm cooking anything that's like a stew or meat or whatever, I'm like, ah, that looks good. Nah, it seems like there could be a bit more garlic in there. Plump. I mean, and I think maybe we can't be quite as lackadaisical with herbs if we want to get what we're trying to get out of them. But like you said, cover it with alcohol and throw it in the, throw it in the cabinet. It'll be okay. And yeah. don't you think that when your grandma did it, that's what she did? That's right. That is exactly what she did, you know, and, um, and, you know, many of these, many of the plants, certainly the ones we're talking about here, the, you don't, there are, we don't have lists of side effects for these plants, you know, and, um, and certainly for the adaptogens, we don't have, you don't have to be, uh, if you're out of, it, okay, I'm just going to step back for a moment. If you, if you have a history and you're and you're taking a bunch of cardiovascular medications or you're taking a bunch of steroidal medications or it, basically if you're taking a bunch of medications please talk to a licensed herbalist uh but uh, about adding in herbs into your you know your world of uh of healthcare however for those of us that aren't that's not what's going on. We're just looking for tools to help to get, when there's no physician. <laughs> there's nobody there. You know, when you need to bring a fever down, you know, you, in for time immemorial, people have used bone set, right? Uh, you know, for fever in the bones, for severe influenza, right? We've got a great plant here. Go for it. Don't hesitate. Jump. Jump forth, utilize the plants. Um, don't be afraid. And, and it's great to start doing that before, you know, be prepared. <laughs> Do it before, before there's no, there's nothing available, before there, before there aren't any medicines on the shelf to buy. You know, get prepared now. Tinctures last for five years. You know, make, start making these things now. Um, for yourself, start experimenting with them. Um, you know, in as the seasons progress, you can think about, oh, well, this is cold and flu season. This is a time to work with some tools for cold and flu. So uh, let me look at what. Do, well, what do we use? Oh, we use uh, we use elderberry. You know, uh, do I want to plant elderberry for next year? Do I want to have access to that? Okay, let me plant some elderberry. Let's get get started with that. Um, 
you know, when uh, we move into uh, sinus season, you know, we may want to start thinking about using a pollen support for that, you know. So when we go through our yearly cycles, there are certain everyday uh, conditions that come up and these are the places where using plant medicines can really really make a big difference in our lives you know if you've got you know a stomach ache ginger is the go-to plant for that it's a very very effective support for 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 uh for supporting the stomach but to that we could add you know, mucilaginous herbs like slippery elm or marshmallow. We could, we could use licorice. It's wonderful or fennel or, um, anise or cardamom. You know, these are great, great plants to help soothe and ease the stomach. And, um, you know, there are others I, um, you, you actually yeah, have so. your own formulations available. Oh, oh, um, I have, I probably, I, I make well over a hundred and different, 150 different formulations. And those are available under the rubric Lady Bee Botanicals. And they are, um, on the Lady Bee Botanical store site on, um, healthhive.com, which is one of my websites. So people could have, can have access to those, uh, if they, um, if they'd like, yes. Okay, great. I'll make sure there's a link uh, in the show notes. Oh, thank you. Wrapping that thank right you. now. Yeah, thank you. And you also have, you've mentioned classes. Oh, okay. So um, as I am moving into this particular phase of my career and evolution and my healing work, I am really being called to begin teaching and I mean, I've been teaching for many, many years, but, but, but really teaching what I've come to find empirically to be effective for people. And so we have just launched a website, healthhive.com, and there's a newsletter for Health Hive, and there is a Facebook page for Health Hive, and Health Hive links folks to the Health Hive Academy, which right now has, um, one uh uh one one class ap therapy my ap therapy class um, the medicine of the beehive that is up and available for people to take and also the new class which will be up in about 2 weeks is on fermentations and that class um it will is also up on health hive and um we know that um um folks that may be interested in those classes that are part of your um are part of the survival team here and for those folks we are offering a 48 hour major discount so if they want the ap therapy class and the firming class class they could have 50% off of those classes with me those are hours and hours of me talking about these subjects they're beautiful there are hundreds and hundreds of slides and so there's a huge amount of material there for folks and um and then for the fer the fermentation class that'll be out in a couple of weeks that class 
um, available on November 18th. We're offering a 35% discount on that class if they if they're interested in in buying that class. How do how do they um, claim that? Uh, are you offering that to our? Well, since it's time sensitive. There's it would, oh right, there's a coupon code. The okay. coupon code for the uh, bundle is the Survival Podcast Bundle. <laughs> okay. And the coupon code for the fermentation standalone on the 18th. That's the Survival Podcast. Okay. And I'm also going to be sending out material for the build, you know, building up that fermentation class on the new, the Health Hive newsletter here every few days. So if people are interested in this kind of material or, or what I'm doing, they can absolutely access that through the Health Hive and the Health Hive newsletter. I have my own personal website that is tamarawolfson.com. I have my own personal newsletter separate than the Health Hive newsletter. That's the health buzz that they can find on my own website. And uh, healthhive.com, you know, this is the beginning of this website. This, I mean, I've got a couple of classes on there. I'm planning to have nine classes on there by the end of next year. I'm also looking for teachers that are mastery level teachers to produce classes for that website. This is what I want to be as a natural medicine hub, um, resources of natural medicine, but not just that, also permaculture, um, lifestyle support, um, we really want that um, that website to offer hands-on tools for 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 every for every day for and for for us for lay people right um, that you don't have to be you don't have to specialize in anything to access these tools you can you can um, you can have access to that education so that is the goal of the website. And we just launched it um, uh, just uh, a few weeks back. So it's new. <laughs> it's exciting. Very cool. Um, so I guess, I mean, my only confusion there is you said the Survival Cat Podcast bundle for the bundle of classes, but... Only the bundle meaning the AP therapy class plus the fermentation class. That's but the bundle. The fermentation class is not available yet, so... No, but they can pre-buy that. I mean, they can buy that... They can buy that bundle now. It'll be up on the 18th for them to download. I'm going to cover my butt here and say if anybody has any problems enrolling for these classes and claiming their discounts, they can contact you through your website. Absolutely. That's what I'm going to do, just to, yes. to, to clear that. So, yeah, sorry. I'm not doing yeah. your customer support for you, Tamara. Oh, I'm sorry, Jack. I, I got my own. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've had a blast with you today. Just, just throw out those two main websites again real quick for people as we wrap up here. Oh, sure. Healthhive.com and TamaraWolfson.com. And I will uh, have uh, all of that in the show notes as well, and I'll put the discount codes in the show notes. But, again, if you have any issues, sign it up. Get in touch with uh, Ms. Wolfson here, and we will uh, – she'll get you squared away. I'm not going to I'm not gonna weave that one. <laughs> no worries. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, I've had a blast with you today. Thanks for being on the show with us. I think you've probably opened a lot of minds to a lot of really cool stuff today. Oh, Jack, thank you so very much for having me on the show. And please feel free to ask me um, questions or in the future if anything arises. And um, fi one final note is that tomorrow I am 
offering two hours of question and answer for anybody that's free for anybody that might be listening to this show that might want to ask me something specifically. They can um, go if they go on to the Health Hive newsletter, they can um, find or the Health Hive Facebook page. They can find out how to get on to that question and answer tomorrow with me and um and I'll follow up with anybody that's got questions. Great. I'll uh, make sure I looked that up too. I found that page. I'll make sure that's in the show notes as well for people. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right, and with that I want to say uh again thank you to Tamara for being with us today on the Survival Podcast. And with that, it's been Jack Spearco today along with Tamara Wolfson helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or Caravan even if they don't. Of yellow wire. And crawling across the plains Rolling along in single file Like a slow-moving train It rumbled down out of the mist Into the early morning light Said they'd stay till the job was finished If it took them till midnight Well, there were cats and scrapers All caterpillars Backed up by a mile-high crane And they looked like monsters from the old B-movies The drive-ins used to play And we sang goodbye Saturday under the stars Wake up little Susie in my daddy's car So many memories got lost and found When a piece of history hit the ground The day they tore the last driving down Memories thick as the smoke clouds they made Man and machine became one Board snapped like toothpicks on their blades But to us it sounded like guns Cowboys, soldiers, gangsters and thieves James Bond and his golden girls Well you could sit in your car and never turn the key And go halfway around the world And it stood like a landmark for 40 years We never thought we'd live to see It fall to the ground and then just disappear so many childhood dreams And we sang goodbye Saturday under the stars Wake up little Susie in my daddy's car So many memories got lost and found When a piece of history hit the ground The day they tore the last driving down A lot of the drivers had tears in their eyes And I don't think it was just the dust See, I still believe there's just a little piece Of that old drive-in left in all of us Well, nobody moved for what seemed like hours In slow motion it came tumbling down We just stood there with a taste of metal in our mouths And a silence all around The day they tore the last driving down And we sang goodbye Saturday Under the stars Wake 
up little Susie in my daddy's car So many memories got lost and found When a piece of history hit the ground The day 